Even when it hurts, it's important. How you doing, Wendy? I'm doing well. Yourself? Good. I'm doing good. Summer has arrived. It has. I'm loving it. Mm-hmm. Not loving the 92 degree weather. See, I don't mind it. I'm kind of a fan. Okay. Like I never thought I would be one of those people that would like head south as mm-hmm. I get older, but it's mm-hmm. a real, it's out there. Yeah. I will, I will head south if at all possible. <laughs> will you? Absolutely. Yep. Hey, guys, we are so excited. This is the podcast I have been waiting for since we started. Um, we actually, David, you may not know, we started, our first one was on April 1st because we thought if it went downhill, we could say we were just kidding. Yeah. Perfect. It was a Isn't that perfect? Way to do it. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for being with us. I'm so excited, guys. We have with us the one, the only David Bell, the Enneagram expert in Hamilton County, Indiana, like, I don't know. The U.S. The, the I, un- I would not use no. that term <laughs> for sure. So I'm not sure I would use the word expert either, but we'll just move forward off that. You're a humble. <laughs> yes. Well, we, I'm just jazzed about having you here. Um, tons of questions. Uh, Wendy and I both um, feel like this is an important tool for, it, for so many so many realms of our life, but we really feel like there's so many applications in just relationships in general and family and marriages, but in the church too. And so we're going to hit on that a little bit in this one. Um, Wendy, do you want to speak to anything as to why this is so important for us? Well, I just know from my personal experience, um, David and I were on staff together at Grace Church for several years, and I got to experience firsthand several workshops that he taught regarding marriage and spiritual formation and grief and parenting and teams and all sorts of things where this was so applicable and so helpful. So yeah, I'm excited for him to be here because it's definitely added value to my life. And so we want to share it with others. Yeah. I'm a self-proclaimed Enneagram geek. So I am not an expert by any stretch of the imagination, but I love reading, learning, using all of the things Uh, because there's so much to this. Like this could be the whole podcast. Like there are podcasts, just Enneagram, like we Mm -hmm. could do this forever, but we are going to do this in two parts. So uh, this, this session is part one. We're going to talk about various things about the Enneagram and session two, we'll probably get, uh, do a deeper dive and get a little more specific, but David Bell. Welcome. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you, ladies, so much for letting me be with you. Thanks for the invitation. It's always fun to talk about the Enneagram, talk about it with people who are obviously interested or like to geek out yes. <laughs> on it, as well as uh, reflect on what it, what it has to offer us in a way that is um, integrated, because that's the point. It's wisdom, and wisdom is meant to be lived, and uh, I, I love the opportunity to get beyond what uh, Instagram and Facebook have made trendy and actually reflect on what is it that is actually transformative for us. Yes, because you have a company. Uh, I don't know if that's exactly what you call it. but yeah, it's like a, a business like, ministry. There we go. Yeah, it, I like, was like... It's I, a business in that sense of teaching the Enneagram and coaching and consulting. There's a ministry portion to it because much, not all, but much of what, what I do very much... Uh, connects into my Christian faith background and uh, engaging with people through that lens. Um, So, yeah. So uh, to your point, it's not just a trend or something you're using to get followers or whatever. Like this is, 
your what you do in your ministry programming is is showing people how to use it to grow, to grow personally, to grow in their faith, like deepen their relationships. Uh, and I think it's accurate to say deepen your relationship with God, deepen your relationship. Maybe in a way, not most of all, but but the one that gets overlooked so much, uh, deepen your relationship with yourself. Yeah. And then deepen your relationship with other people. Uh, I find uh, very often that the entree point for interest is people wanting to think about the Enneagram because what it's going to do for my team or my relationships or those types of ideas. Uh, and yet, really, the Enneagram is, is first and foremost, you could say, about your relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm which becomes a ministry because, uh, as has been said by, whether it's going back to John Calvin's words or it's David Benner in, in the brilliant book, The Gift of Being Yourself, there is no deep knowing of God without a deep knowing of self, and there's no deep knowing of self without a deep knowing of God. And if we are always in union with God because we are image bearers of God, we are all human beings are, are children of God. Uh, what I mean by that is, God's divine parenthood does not depend on whether the children know that they're the children. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's good. And so there is this reality of us in that way. And, and nothing in the scripture seems to indicate the image of God being obliterated. So there's always a connection to God mm-hmm. and, and people's, uh, people uh, as human beings may not know that, may not realize that, may not want to realize that, may not want to walk with God, not realizing that they, we in the Christian faith believe that we bear God's image. And because of that, when we get to know ourselves, what we may not realize at first is we're actually really getting to know God. Not that we are God. We are distinct, clearly, from God. But there's something about that because we reflect God's image. But then also in getting to know God, of course, we we learn about ourselves and who we really are. And the Enneagram offers us opportunity, if we want it, to use it as wisdom to feed that journey. Um, it's not the be-all, end-all. You can do plenty in life to grow and develop and be who you are meant to be in God's kingdom mission in this world and who you're meant to be with God without ever touching the Enneagram. But if you want to, it's an offer of wisdom that I have personally found to be incredibly transformative and helpful. That's awesome. I second that. And yes. I'm like inspired. Yep. Okay. So that was our episode. Thank you. So- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got to talk about what to do with it. Then. I know. I, I know. I know. I'm just like, wow, day. that was so good. Um, so before we get deeper into to the weeds of the Enneagram, why don't you just introduce yourself to us? Like, tell us a little bit about yourself and how, how did you come upon the Enneagram? Like, how do you do what you do? Sure. Well, let's see. I am a husband to my wife, Betsy, of uh, 24 years as of Monday. Uh, I have... Wow, happy three- anniversary. Thank you. Uh, it was the most nondescript anniversary we have ever had in 24 <laughs> years uh, for multiple reasons I don't need to take a podcast to talk about. So uh, so we, both of us are giving... We, we have granted each other a complete do-over of mm. the day at some point uh, coming up. So... Uh, I have three children. I have one who is a just finished his freshman year in college, another who is entering his senior year of high school, and then um, our, those are my two boys, and then my daughter is uh, about to start middle school. I came to the Enneagram in 2011-2012 on staff, as uh, Wendy mentioned, at Grace Church, and I don't think, I can't remember if you were there yet or not at that point, maybe not quite. 
we as a staff were being taken through three years of quarterly retreats, a, a, a real gift to us, uh, of spiritual formation retreats with two former pastors whose ministry was pastoring church staff and pastors. That's what they love to do. In process of that, one of our retreat settings was this introduction to the Enneagram wisdom. And when I came to learn and understand myself as an Enneagram 3, uh, I believe the reason I gravitated to it so strongly was because it gave such insight and explanation to me about where I had been the previous three years of my life. Um, another longer story said shortly, in 2008, uh, I found myself entering a season of acute anxiety very quickly became revealed in my counseling that it was all revolving around shame mm. and about who I was and the way I perceived myself as a disappointment in all these different roles in my life uh, and the pressure I was putting on myself. When I understood myself as a three, uh, I literally laughed out loud because it just reflected the last three years of what I had been learning through counseling and yet, even actually a few years later, it took a f another few years of working with the Enneagram and being more honest with myself for me to realize that in 2011, 2012, when I understood myself as a three, I looked back on 2008 and I kind of said, well, I had a part in that, but that kind of was because of this and this and decisions here or situations here. And it was, I ended up in this kind of anxious place because I worked so hard because it was kind of done to me in part. I kind of had that perspective. And it was a number of years later because of the Enneagram wisdom and because of what I was learning about myself and ultimately because of obviously God's spirit using that wisdom to speak to me that I had to finally be honest to say, oh no, I did 2008 totally to myself. Mm. I wanted to prove myself and be successful in the eyes of the leadership of our church to such a degree that I workaholic myself into acute anxiety of medication and counseling and panic attack and, and, and all those different things. The panic attack was what led to the counseling and the medication, I should <laughs> <Yeah>. say. <laughs> uh, and so what the Enneagram then offered me at another level was to say, and if you don't understand that you did this to yourself out of the motivation of your number and out of this passion of self-deceit as a three that that has pulled the wool over your eyes to realize that you did this to yourself and that your work was not all, uh, you might say, um, well, not, well, how would you say it? Uh, my work was not all of this wonderful way to go. I'm doing all my best just to provide my family. No, I was working so hard to overcome a sense of shame in order to get affection and esteem from key leaders and authorities in my life who I wanted to approve of me in very key certain ways if I don't see that, I'm just going to repeat that pattern the rest of my life. Yeah. So you didn't ask for all that, but, but that gets <laughs> well, a little no, bit Well, no, but I'm sitting like, here like I'm also an Enneagram 3, yeah. and I have a very similar story. I mean, I didn't get into the panic attack, but the, I look at the earlier part of my ministry with Life Church and some of the stupid stuff mm -hmm. that I had done and said, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, that shame comes and I can't believe, it. you know, you look back and it's like, oh, I understand the motivation, like why, why I was what that I'm way. going after and, and, and where, where it is in me that that's really coming from, that I'm trying to resolve the shame, have my need for affection and esteem met. But I'm doing it in my own power in a way that only sabotages me 
and sabotages even the gifting that I have right. uh, in, in who I am and how I see the world rather than trusting in the reality of affection and esteem that comes from God as God's beloved mm -hmm. and therefore then seeing my gifting just play out however it's going to play out mm -hmm. in the moment without need of affirmation in that way. And then that's, that's so much of, of the growth path with what the Enneagram offers. Yeah. And what I just want to personally welcome everyone to my personal therapy session. <laughs> <laughs> and the only reason I, I went a slightly different road is because I got a master's in counseling first. Yes. So I went through all of that in yes. my original training yes. and all of that course. got revealed. And then this just built on it. So a yep. little different route, but same. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. You can just bill me, David, at the end of this. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you asked how I ended up where I am now. Uh, 2018, I transitioned from the church and among other uh, endeavors. One of the endeavors that revealed itself was both coaching people, mentoring people through Enneagram wisdom, as well as then uh, some some workshops. And ironically, both of those opportunities came to me. We weren't necessarily looking for them, uh, but we just kind of tried them. Some people who had reached out, hey, would you do this? Hey, would you consider doing this? Well, sure, we'll try it. And that actually ended up forming a uh, business that uh, Enneagram Insight uh, is what we call it. And um, it, it, it's an uh, opportunity for me to certainly coach and continue to mentor and consult, do spiritual direction with people through an Enneagram lens. Uh, it's got facets there, whether it's individuals or uh, council couples, use that relational piece with it or offer the workshops that we offer. So as a business, uh, my wife and I offer workshops that people can come attend or do hybrid uh, or be on Zoom exclusively. And then I'm invited into different organizations, churches, teams, businesses, corporations to teach and work and consult. So that kind of just evolved. And, and yeah. again, being receptive to what others brought to, uh, to me as ideas and then watching or, okay, God, is this something we're supposed to lean into and, and see what might come from it? Yeah, and I appreciated, you know, you came and talked to our staff some years ago mm -hmm. and really helped us out. And I'm excited to get on that topic, yes. you know, down the road here. Yes. I don't want to jump ahead. So, Well, David, if you can then move us into kind of more specifics about the tool, or I like how you describe it, wisdom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then also some myths that are connected with sure. that, because I think there's a lot of those swirling around that could be a little confusing. And we want to do that upfront at the podcast to maybe move some barriers away from people who may have started listening, but are like, eh, I'm tuning out. Yeah. They're talking this, this about have, that. Yeah, yes. We're going there. We're uh -huh. just going to go right. That's right. This. So yeah, tell us a little more. Well, uh, it is often described or just attached into the personality, different personality profiling systems or um, a, a typing agency or something like that. The Enneagram uses language of type or style uh, or other words that go with it, but the Enneagram is not a personality profiling system. Um, you don't do the Enneagram. Like you don't, uh, that's a common phrase people use, right? Like, oh, I haven't done the Myers-Briggs. I haven't done DISC. I haven't done the Enneagram. Well, you don't do the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a wisdom tradition. Uh, it is a wisdom around nine human archetypes or character types, the ways of ways that we see the world. Uh, what distinguishes it from these personality profiling systems in particular is that it's not behavior-based. It's motivationally based, and it's based on what are called the passions, the nine ways that we commonly trip up and sabotage ourselves. Vices is another word that sometimes is, is used in that space. And how we find our Enneagram number, 
or Enneagram type is through a recognition of which of these nine passions, these nine vices, do we trip over the most? Uh, we can we trip over all nine, but one of them is like, it's, it's ours. Uh, for those of us who come from a Christian faith tradition, uh, often we'll use the language even of a, a deadly sin. Part of the reason for that is seven of the nine passions match with the seven deadly sins spoken of in the Judaic Christian scriptures in Proverbs. So it just kind of makes sense. Seven deadly sins plus two. <laughs> and so uh, the idea is that we can obviously quote unquote sin or have this, any of these vices trip us up, but one of them becomes kind of our pet one, the one that we want to especially learn to catch on the run. That helps us find our Enneagram type. In addition, that ties very much to the motivation of dealing with that passion. And that helps us find that. Well, testing for motivation, testing for that kind of self-awareness, you, you know, it's very difficult to take a test for that. Uh, as I heard Beatrice Chestnut say recently, um, the Enneagram is, is, not scientifically validating, it is self-validating. So if you're out there saying, uh, if it's not scientifically been validated, I'm not sure I want to do it, then the Enneagram's not for you, and that's okay. Don't worry about it. Let it go. It's, it, it's not for everybody, not a problem. Uh, it is self-validating. It is just true. It, it should be, I read my, and discover my Enneagram number. I read about my type. I, I, I read the different Enneagram types. I discover that I'm, I'm this number and this type. This is the way I see the world. And oh my goodness, I can just feel it all through my body. I want to chuck the book across the room because I'm just feeling humiliated. Uh, that's a word that I've gotten some pushback on sometimes that the Enneagram humiliates you. But the root word of humiliation is humility. Humility is just a right assessment of ourselves. So what the Enneagram is, is a wisdom tradition that helps us to have a right assessment of ourselves, that we come to understand which one is ours based on motivation and based on passion. You might say that um, the Enneagram doesn't tell you you type, you tell the Enneagram which type you are. So Myers-Briggs tells you, mm -hmm. I'm an ISFJ or whatever else, you know, something somebody is in their letters. Or the disc tells you you're an SC or a DI or I don't really know that one very well. Uh, <laughs> or if you've done insights, you know, it, mm -hmm. it tells you I'm, I'm uh, I think mine was I'm green, blue, red, maybe back in the day. I'm quite confident that that red actually is not actually there. That was all part of my shape-shifting image crafting as a three to try and get my red there because yeah. red, red supposedly are leaders and, mm. and that's, they're the only leaders. Uh, not true even in insights, but that's the way people perceive it. But all that to say, they're telling you, you're, you know, who you are. We tell the Enneagram what type we are. The Enneagram doesn't tell us. That's why you don't do the Enneagram in that way. And, and as a wisdom tradition centered around motivation and passion in this sense, it's something for us then to do the work of self-identification. Yes, there are these inventories and tests. That I was are just going to ask you, like, do you recommend yeah. then that people do them? Because um, they do. Generally, no, <laughs> I don't. Uh, uh, no, I don't. I think there's a, a, a lot of... Um, I think the, pro the problem with the tests and the inventories is that... Uh, I would say, in my in both my experience as well as my primary teacher's experience, Suzanne Stabile, is that the tests lead people to the wrong type. Uh, now, that's not true for everybody. Some people take a test and they find their Enneagram style. I was introduced through an Enneagram test, and by 0.6 tenths of a point, I identified as a three instead of a one. Hmm. Now, my wife, because I was introduced through a test, I introduced her to it through a test. So she tested as an Enneagram one in the first time she took that test. And so for the first four years of her Enneagram journey, she thought she was an Enneagram one. 
but it never quite sat right with her. In time, and in large part to being introduced to Suzanne Stabile and her work and, and other things, my wife learned more not only about the Enneagram and the different types, but also about herself, and it became very clear that she is an Enneagram 6. Well, if you know anything about Enneagram 6s, they are all about authority. And so when the test tells you as the authority that you're an Enneagram 1, you don't question it. Even as an Enneagram 6, who is sometimes called the loyal questioner. (laughs) Right. Because the authority told you as a 6 that you're a 1, and therefore it's a done conversation. It's just one simple example of how easy it is. I could give you lots of others of where the tests and inventories are going to put people off. Now, if you've taken one, fine. Or if you are some better than others, probably. Like the free ones are worth nothing, basically, uh, if they're free. Um, Some of them, they, they are master Enneagram teachers who have done work to try and develop Test. Jerome Wagner uh, has done that extensive work. Uh, many people know about the Ready Test, which comes from Enneagram Institute. Enneagram Institute is the original preeminent institute of teaching the Enneagram, particularly in the United States, Don Rizzo and Russ Hudson's background. So those are, I'm not saying they're not worth anything, that people have these out there. The, the, if you're going to do a test or inventory, it can only be the start of the journey. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to do it that way, then Instead, buy the road back to you and read the nine styles and just start to read which one resonates and go back and read the, mark the chapters that really resonated and, or the chapter that you wanted to throw the book across the room for because you're like, oh, who could be like this? Like, what a horrible way to live in the world. And that might be you. So (laughs) yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going on now. No, that's good. I, um, I think one thing that you said, the difference when you were talking about the difference between the assessments. I think one of the things with the Enneagram that hit me was when it started talking about the motivations mm-hmm. and that I was like, well, no other test told me about that. And how in the world is it reading my mail? Like to yeah. know now it's yes. getting personal. And and I'm like, that's just so right. Mm-hmm. Like there, you know, I've taken the disc. I took the disc. Honestly, I cried. I read the descriptions of the disc. I'm like, I'm an awful, horrible person. <laughs> and so that was a whole other situation but anyway so but the Enneagram when I read the three and I read some of the core motivations and fears and desires and all of those I was like oh wow like that's like in me like that's Mm -hmm. core yeah that's my story yeah right but the Enneagram doesn't leave you there sometimes with DISC and Myers-Briggs and others you can get that sense of well what do I do with this information well it's just good for you to know about yourself like in in this way and and some of them probably have deeper insight that can actually help you maybe develop in those ways I I don't know them well enough to to say with complete accuracy but the Enneagram I do know doesn't leave you in that place so when I talk about wanting to throw the book across the room or feeling this humiliation the whole point about it for the Enneagram is to say wake up to the box that you've put yourself in the mask that you are wearing Mm -hmm. the shield that you are using to protect Mm -hmm. yourself you needed it actually from your younger days to where you are today. But what you want to learn is that you don't need it anymore. The language you might use is it got you from there to here, but from here to the health of who you want to be, to live in in ways that are toward a healthy uh, individual and healthy relationships or in the language that I would use particularly when I'm working in in contexts like this of, of the freedom of being attached to the Christian faith tradition, our true self in Christ, 
when we want to live towards our true self in Christ in this way, we're learning to let go of that shield, to break out of the box, as Richard Rohr would say. Uh, we're, we're in that space of trying to, to see, I needed this for a while. I don't need it anymore but I, I'm glad I've been humiliated by it to be honest with myself that, wow, I've got things that I've done that I regret and I wish I hadn't done it that way. And I don't want to do that anymore. And the Enneagram also then is offering wisdom of how to see that path change. Mm-hmm. So you are more moving towards that health and that true self and less that adaptive or what we call false self. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's really good. You're not stuck. It's dynamic. It's There's movement. And there's an opportunity, I mean, it's an equipping, it's an equipping opportunity. That's what I love about it the most. And so, yeah. Very practical in that sense. Uh, Theoretical, uh, obviously, because it's wisdom. So there's this theory space to sit in, but practical of, okay, how can I walk away from this? And and there's tactile points for me to move on in this way. Yeah, I I think for me, like, so I'm in the shame triad as a three, but so now there's an understanding when shame hits, I've identified it. I'm like, oh, I see you. And I know what, I know how this goes. And so I can change the story now because. Yes, I can ask the question of what just, what is triggering shame in me right now? Or said uh, another way, we experience the shame in the two, three, and four triad because we've lost our need for affection and esteem. So we have, we have uh, our essential human need. Um, Thomas Keating would call it our program for happiness for two, threes, and fours is affection and esteem. We, we, it's not that other Enneagram styles don't, don't need that. It's that. This is the one we want to stay met most, you might say. When we feel that threatened or we start to lose it, then the primitive emotion that we experience is shame. When you can identify it, you can say, okay, what just triggered my sense of loss of affection and esteem? okay, wait a minute, it was that person made that comment which made me feel less in my job. Am I defined by my job? Do I want to be defined by my job? What does it mean for me to be loved just in who I am? This is what I call the mental gymnastics of being <laughs> Tina. <laughs> all kinds of mental gymnastics going on. <laughs> and so in that way, it becomes very practical for us to know what we can do with it that can help us to ask good questions, help us to reflect back, help us to recenter and ground ourselves, uh, which keeps us from overdoing it to try and get that affection and esteem in some way, at least for two, threes, and fours. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm looking at time. I do. Wendy, are you okay? I have a question. Go. Okay. Go. I, I do this all the time. I'm always telling her I'm sorry for doing all the talking. But I do have a question. It's actually why you came to visit with our staff. Um, and I think it's important to hit on, we talked about the myths and some of that, but one of the things like, so we were actually, I had a different kind of test run podcast like years ago during the pandemic. And we were going to have you on and talk about the Enneagram and some people within the church blew up and that's satanic. It's new age. It's all of these labels. And I think sometimes just honestly, the, the geometric shape people look at and, and they automatically have a reaction to it. Like that's just what I've heard from people. So, you know, the majority of the people that do listen to shooting straight are believers or within Mm -hmm. our churches. So can you kind of speak to that a little bit and help us out? Because I've had people like, you can't use that in the church. Now our leadership, our fans, like everyone knows their number. Mm -hmm. Like, so we use it within the leadership, but that question still comes sure. up. Uh, that's understandable that, that people are asking it. It's not certainly not a, a uh, 
well, it's definitely not wrong to ask and say, actually right. say it's very important to ask and, and, yeah. and to understand and be discerning in, in those things. And I would just say again, like I uh, encourage an openness that, that even in how I answer this now, it, it uh, it's not my job to convince a person that it's okay if if they don't sense a resonance in their spirit with that that then they can let that go. I, you might say, <clears throat> but what might be important is to realize some of the, the history and some of the ideas around the origins, which are maybe the best word to use, are incomplete. Mm-hmm. So the history of the enneagram is not, I won't. It's not speculative, meaning it's not just like we don't know anything, but it is incomplete in that in that. Uh, when you go beyond roughly 50 years, uh, that past 50 years, maybe 100 years, you have uh, incomplete documentation around the Enneagram. Nobody's out there said, oh, in this time period, here's where it's written down, this is what it is. So I'll kind of back into it that way. The Enneagram as we have it, generally speaking now, is primarily the result of two gentlemen from South America, Central America, who around 50 years ago, you might say codified the Enneagram into the language in many ways that we talk about it today with in terms of the motivations, in terms of understanding the different, like the different desires of the nine types, the different, the, the core fear of the nine types, all these types of ideas in, in those ways that led to, oh, as a three, I'm motivated to uh, be efficient and productive and in a way of being successful so people will like me and love me. Uh, as an eight for Wendy, I'm motivated to exert my power to keep from being controlled and that definitely keeps me away from vulnerability because if I was vulnerable, you could control me and that is not okay in this world. And for an eight, that's pretty <laughs> to the motivation. Uh, Poor Wendy. So just, you just been go- called out right I, there. No, I'm, no, not called I'm out. Good with I know. I'm just teasing. I am yeah, totally yeah, yeah. comfortable totally and embrace the eight. Yep. Eights absolutely. And so eights are great. Uh, and so <laughs> it, that way that we talk about it, Oscar Achazo and Claudio Naranjo are the primary two people who, who um, were the ones to, to bring it into this language as we have it. The reason it got into the church after that particularly was through uh, a number of Jesuit priests who were taught by Naranjo primarily, as well as some others who had learned directly from Naranjo in the 70s, and who incorporated it into their Jesuit tradition and then proliferated out of the Jesuit tradition into the Catholic Church, and maybe most prominent today, the, the to my knowledge, the first book from the Christian perspective was mid-90s when Richard Rohr wrote the book Enneagram, A Christian Perspective. So you have some movement in there. Prior to this, however, you can look back at the Enneagram and you can see evidence of the Enneagram uh, and the ideas of the Enneagram, first of all, with the nine passions, with a, uh, a desert father named Evagoras Ponticus in about 4th, 5th century AD, who uh, there are remnants that indicate the idea of the nine passions that he had codified. By the word codify, all I mean is actually like like written down or, or scripted in some way. Uh, in Ignatian discernment, we see elements of the centers of intelligence, of thinking, feeling, and doing, which is a key aspect of the Enneagram. Now that's only three, I realize, but those are those that I just mentioned all tie to what we call the triads, which are the, th- the nine styles as well, and they've got a connection there. Uh, but you could also look back and say, um, as some have, have noticed, the nine islands of Homer's Odyssey match the nine passions. So is the Enneagram actually from 6th century BC in Greek mythology? English teachers have had my date wrong on the Odyssey. I admit I've <laughs> never read it, so therefore. <laughs> an English teacher told me that, that who loves the Enneagram said, have you ever known that the nine islands match the nine passions? Uh, and again, the nine passions, which are core to the Enneagram, 
in, in particular in this way, seven of the nine are the deadly sins of the Judaic Christian scriptures. The other two are deceit for the three and fear or anxious worry for the six. And then the other seven are the deadly sins. So all that to say, there's some of the history background that people may or may not know and only want to see it as, oh, I heard this or heard that. Uh, Some people I've heard reference the history will say, well, I watched on YouTube and I watched this guy talk about how he came up with the Enneagram. Well, first of all, if you watch some of those YouTubes, you'll actually hear them contradict themselves. They'll tell different stories at different times. Second, they have their own way of seeing the world that uh, might be playing into whether they're honestly telling the exact truth of the way it came to be. And third, the Enneagram is not the property of any one religion. So is it new age? Mm -hmm. Mm, I don't personally believe the Enneagram in and of itself is new age. Is it used by those who might consider themselves part of the new age religion? Certainly. Uh, Is it used by Buddhists? Yes. Hindus? Yes. Atheists? Yes. Every religion in the world. Well, that's an overstatement. To be accurate as a three who likes to be hyperbolic, (laughs) I don't know if every religion uses it in the world, but every religion in the world could use it because the Enneagram is not the property of one religion in that sense. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, we can look at the Enneagram uh, maybe like something like yoga. Uh, Now, some people who might be against yoga because of its origins in particularly Hinduism, uh, you probably are not going to be comfortable with the Enneagram then. Not because the Enneagram's origins are Hindu or of a certain religion, because I don't believe that. If, if, they're, if they're origined in a religion, I think they're probably origined actually in Christianity, based on the desert church fathers and mothers and the passions. But I don't know that for sure. So if origins matter in that way, then in that sense, you probably wouldn't be a fan of yoga. But if you look at yoga and say, it's a physical exercise that particularly in the West, has been separated in some ways from a certain form of meditation. And in fact, I'm actually comfortable doing yoga while meditating with the Holy Spirit on God. You're probably going to be more comfortable with the Enneagram. You're going to, in a sense, translate it or transpose it. And I use that word on purpose because I'll point to, to a resource in a moment. Uh, so that would compare it in that way. Another comparison might be, and maybe this is germane to your podcast in particular, or at least your passions uh, in, for the two of you, There are those who will not use any uh, therapeutic, psychological, modern methods for counseling as Christians, because it should just be biblical counseling. We use the Bible, and that is it. There's nothing else that, uh, that can be added. And others will say, no, I think Carl Jung and Freud and many other brilliant people have a lot to say that can help us when we're doing therapy with people. And we're going to use that insight. It, it goes to the idea, all truth is God's truth. And what your definitions are of all truth is God truth, God's truth then. And so if you're someone, again, who is more likely to say, no, we shouldn't use anything from psychology, only the Bible, you're probably not going to be okay with the Enneagram. And if you're someone who is comfortable with that type of thing, you're going to say, okay, I can use this wisdom through this lens of my faith and in, in, in the way it, it would be uh, best used. Last thought for you, uh, Todd Wilson is uh, a pastor, a theologian, and a friend of mine in in the Enneagram world as well, who has written a book called The Enneagram Goes to Church. It is an excellent, excellent book, especially for church staff, teams, pastors, uh, but also for people in the church. He, He brings in so many different themes of the church then to think about through the lens but in his first chapter, he addresses this in particular. And Todd, Todd's background is he's a um, Reformed theologian who runs the Center for Pastor Theologians out of, out of Chicago. But he's based here in Indianapolis. If you want, 
you can get him on your podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh. He's great. Uh, and Todd's an eight. So that way oh, you know, you'd balance Todd. out this eight, three thing, you know? <laughs> anyway, Todd has a wonderful first chapter that some people, some people as Christians wouldn't need the first chapter to help them enter the Enneagram. Other people, what Todd's written will be what leads them into the Enneagram in a really comfortable way. Mm-hmm. And he uses this language of transposition from music and says, here's the Enneagram wisdom and I want to transpose it up a step into where we are with the, the way that oftentimes Enneagram languages things and the way that's languaged in the Christian faith and not just language semantics. He, he has thoughts behind it theologically as well. And I would recommend that book as a, a spot for people. Uh, they could also read your Enneagram coach, Beth McCord has done quite a bit of writing on, on her understanding and with the Enneagram and origins and history really well done. And then my favorite person on it is Chuck DeGroat. Um, Chuck DeGroat, uh, wrote the book When Narcissism Comes to Church, which, by the way, is an excellent book I as well. That's a really good book. Yeah, a really good book. In fact, one of the chapters is The Nine Faces of Narcissism, which is based on the nine types of the Enneagram. But Chuck DeGroat has a number of, of articles uh, that you can just, you can Google. Enneagram history, Chuck DeGroat, and a bunch of stuff will pop up. I've listened work. to him on the Typology really podcast, yes. and specifically that whole podcast was about narcissism and the nine types and how yes. it showed it was yes i've listened to it probably five times yes. <laughs> self-diagnosing maybe yeah. i don't know <laughs> so a long so. long answer i probably went beyond time even yeah. well that's okay that was really really good but yes sadly we are out of time for part one but oh my goodness wow. i mean in 37 minutes and 50 Four seconds. The amount of information that you just downloaded for us is so rich and valuable. I can't wait to pass this on to so many people who have had so many questions. And I can't wait for the next episode because uh, when you start studying the Enneagram and you do talk to people who are very interested in it, but their resource is maybe Instagram, you know, the, the little pictures with here's what happens when you're a three or an eight or whatever which by the way I just want to say I do love eights I'm surrounded by them all the time I'm married to an eight pastor Nathan is an eight Wendy is an eight so for whatever reason I tend to befriend them so understandable because they're great because they're great it's great to have an eight in your life well with all of that everyone we just want to thank you so much for being with us for this part of shooting straight hey you're going to want to come back because this next episode with david bell the enneagram i'm going to use the word expert even though it makes him cringe a little bit (laughs) is going to be so rich there's so much more coming so hey Thanks for being with us on the Shooting Straight podcast today. I'm Tina. And I'm Wendy. And we love truth. Even when it hurts.